Hello and welcome back to Undoctored Doctors. My name is Rosh and I'm here with Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> uh, we're going to pick up again from last week where we left off talking about um, incompetencies in medicine and the whole general anxiety feeling that you get <clears throat> realizing that you're going to be responsible for human life at some point and not really feeling up to the task. I am going to admit that I've not done any extra reading since because I've got an exam <laughs> in okay. no week. So uh, this is the opposite of last week where you were prepared and I wasn't on this week. I'm prepared and you're not. But... <laughs> well, I can, I can still bounce some ideas off, but uh, yeah, yeah, for, for, sure, for, for the, sure, for the general, for the, for the general uh, time for the past week, I've just been filling my head with obstetrics. So I'm not really too useful at the moment, unless you want to talk about pregnancy. Nope, I'm okay. Thanks. No, thanks. <laughs> no, <laughs> not today. Yeah, not ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so about what you've uh, you've been finding at the moment. Yeah, so I actually found out uh, quite a bit, and it was very interesting. So I kind of was approaching it from okay. So incompetency aside, I'm going to start with imposter syndrome because I learned a lot more about imposter syndrome since last week. Uh, I kind of thought that it would be important to address imposter syndrome in students just so like for their health and obviously healthier students and healthier doctors can work better and make like less mistakes. So this made sense to me. However, I actually learned a bit more and realized that addressing imposter syndrome is actually a great way to combat incompetence. Um, in these students because at first I was kind of like okay like if the student feels bad fine but they're still probably like somewhat competent so they're you know going about their normal days and it doesn't impact patients that much it's like more student and doctor focus but actually after reading a bit of research and like a few personal accounts uh, I saw a really really good quote that basically sums up why it's so important to address imposter syndrome and it's that when you believe that everything is a weakness, you cannot make steps to improve your actual deficits. Hmm. So if you have imposter syndrome, like because you think everything you do is bad, you aren't actually able to pick out areas that you're actually weak in. And this can actually lead to incompetence because earlier my approach was basically like, if you don't feel confident, obviously that's going to affect your competence because you're also not going to want to like, you know, show up to different trainings and try different things or, you know, but now my approach is completely different. And I, it went from very much a like, oh, students should feel better about themselves. So we should address uh, imposter syndrome too. There is literally no reason we shouldn't. It will improve life of patients and life of doctors. Mm. Um, so that was like the most important thing that I learned last week, it's I guess, like or realized. Self-fulfilling prophecy at that point, right? Like you, 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 you embody the, the, the insecurities that you have because you aren't putting yourself out there. You're not getting, you're not challenging the, um, <clears throat> the self-perceived uh, shortcomings that you have to some extent. Yeah, I mean, for sure, because like we all know how uh, competitive medicine is and there is like a very much culture of you need to not impress your peers, but like you need to always bring your best self and, you know, because you compare yourselves. So when there is like trainings or refresher courses and you do it with your peers, like I think if you don't feel competent and stuff, you're really not going to like either you're going to find an excuse not to show up. So you're missing like refresher courses, which is important. Or two, uh, you're going to like be very careless about it because I think like, I think also personally, I know that when something really bothered me, I would 
like overcompensate by pretending like I didn't care. Like I'd be like, oh, this is so stupid. I don't want to do this. And then like, if people believe that and then I messed up people, I, I would like convince myself, oh, well, people know I don't care. So, you know, like, do you know what I mean? So uh, I think it's, it's even more than self-fulfilling, but like, it's, sorry, yeah, it is self-fulfilling because you're not going to try or you're going to try and convince people that you're not trying. And so you're going to miss like refresher courses or showing up or like um, making yourself vulnerable in a sense, which is very important for growth because you're going to like feel like everything is weak, I guess. I don't know if that no, makes no, sense. I, I understand completely. Like, I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all been in that position where you're, um... I mean, I, I also have quite an avoidant personality when it comes to um, things that I think are way out of my depth. Uh, like the amount of times I felt <clears throat> that I should just drop out of med school in the first two years. Before the <laughs> Always. Year. My God, even now I'm like, do I even have the, I mean, yeah, it's the whole topic of our conversations for the past two episodes, but it's, it's, it's avoiding the things that make the avoiding the challenges that would make me better essentially is, is what I have realized in the past couple of years that um, it's a part of my personality that I really should change. And I do not like, um, but even talking to peers and colleagues, like it's pretty much the same for, I wouldn't say a good majority, but you know, uh, a significant percentage of med students on my course, at least the avoidance of, of, um, challenges that would make you better at what you do yeah to mention that at least on my course there's not too much outlet for bettering yourself like i I heard like in humanitas that they have um med labs that you can go and practice procedures on and what have you but in our university we don't have any access to such resources so um it really is down to you on this course down to you to get the experience that you need from a clinical setting which can be very difficult because approaching a professional doctor to 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 like do what you uh, need to do can be very daunting like let me throw out an example we have a month-long uh internship for uh three specialties general medicine general surgery and general practice that we need to do prior to graduating and usually these internships are a month-long clerkships and for the viewers who don't um, if you don't know what a clerkship is, it's just a, a week or two worth of uh, rotation in a clinical setting where you're meant to get like a taster of the, um, the things that you're taught in those lectures for a module that you're studying for. So in these internships, they're, they're treated like almost a month-long clerkship and um, these clerkships can be quite depressing because you go to the hospitals all excited like yes I get to put on my white coat I get to go do some clinical procedures and and talk to patients and you know feel like an actual doctor but in reality all you do is warm <clears throat> warm a wall for a week so in these internships it's, you, you, you're doing the same but for a month so to combat that what I'm trying to do is to try and get the experience that I need from from that internship and the way that I'm going about it is by mimicking or or asking the doctors which I will be shadowing for a month to to take me through procedures of hi yeah Mr. Chonks is here now Mr. Chonks is here so cute (laughs) sorry distracted right um so, so I'm going to email my professors or my doctors, sorry, uh, a checklist of all the things I want to do <clears throat> during that internship. 
um, and that checklist is based off the UK Foundation Programme. Um, so I want to go and do IV cannulas. I want to be able to take blood from an arterial line or a venal, venous line. I want to be able to put in a Foley, all of these things. And I want you to teach me that because I need that experience. So I think a lot of the, the, the nuances in the Italian system force you to take the experience that you want. Like you talk, force you to, to, to take the initiative to get the experience that you want rather than just sitting around and waiting for it to be handed to you as, as I feel like is the case in say British or American um, schools. Um, but obviously I, I'm not from those systems so I don't know the, the ins and outs, but um, yeah, some of the papers that I read were like, you need to acknowledge your, your insecurities and your deficits and take steps in order to remedy those, whether it's gaining confidence or gaining experience. And there's no real way out of the imposter syndrome mentality rather than doing that, uh, outside of doing that. Because no amount of telling yourself, um, I mean, obviously some amount of telling yourself that you're, you're, you're good enough will help. But if you really do have a deficit in something, getting the experience and getting the skill, is the number one in my opinion is the number one see like the the thing is right i agree with what you're saying where you need to recognize your weaknesses and like take the initiative to fix it but i feel like that's how you address incompetencies but like when it comes to uh addressing imposter like imposter syndrome the fact yeah. is like everything that i basically read was that like it's an extreme end of like self-doubt like on the spectrum of self-doubt and even uh outside approval or like getting higher ups to tell this person or student that like no you're actually fine uh, actually doesn't impact it at all mm. so like even getting through the checklist might not be effective because it's an internalized thing however i did read um that setting daily goals of like okay like i'm going to give patients my best care possible like it could just be that vague um, doing as, as weird as it sounds like a daily routine of self affirmations mm. and like encouraging behavior to seek feedback. So like not giving feedback, but encouraging them to go and seek feedback from, uh, upper people, uh, like, sorry, higher ups, apparently, uh, like building all three of these into the routine of, uh, someone who feels like an imposter is, mm. Uh, the only way that might help it because also a thing is that like it's kind of linked to perfectionism and so like I think what you're saying is like when you feel incompetent um, you you kind of know what your weaknesses are right like it's like in, pra in practical stuff so like to me it's like kind of separate than feeling like an imposter because uh, like you, you kind of know your weaknesses whereas when you're an imposter you feel like everything's a weakness like so you yeah, don't even recognize a form of self-assessment like you yeah assess and be kind of accurate with the way that you are perceived and your actual ability but in imposter syndrome the, the dissonance and the disconnect is so it's, it's too much of a gap to bridge on just reap not just reaffirmation but like just someone else's outside opinion as well like no one outside of you can bridge that gap yeah uh so so like with you saying that like uh you know like you have the checklist and you're going to learn all this but like and that's fine like that's a great way to uh, to address like being incompetent but like with the imposter syndrome like sh having self-affirmations as weird as it sounds is actually very helpful and actually i read also this week really funnily enough i think like two days ago uh in like some uh 
maybe it was on like a Seth Godin blog or something. I can't remember. But apparently like talking to yourself with you is more effective in uh, like changing your thoughts. So instead of me being like, okay, like I'm feeling good today, like, or like, I'm going to try my best today. Uh, apparently if I was like, Sarah, you are doing great. You are trying your best has been shown to be more effective to like affect the psyche of a person. So you just so, like yourself. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like uh, apparently. So like to me now, the way I would approach uh, imposter syndrome after like reading a little bit is to try and like, like address, like not address, but I guess identify the students who are suffering from it, which it, in itself is kind of a challenge. Um, yeah, for sure, because I'm, I, I mean, it's one thing for you to talk to your friends about not feeling adequate or, or having, you know, imposter syndrome. But like we mentioned last episode, it's really an outside thing. Someone has to kind of see it in you. But um, institutions aren't close enough to students, at least in my opinion, they aren't close enough to students to, to see that. Like my professors don't know the ins and outs of, of, of my personal personality like they only see my professional personality if, if that makes sense they only see yeah, yeah. the things that I put out there towards them in a professional capacity so they may see something that is not accurate at all unless I open up completely and be like hey prof really not having a good time really don't feel adequate can you help me so I think it takes both sides to 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 bridge I mean like actually like now that I'm thinking more about it um it would actually be hard to identify externally like if a student has imposter syndrome because if you think about it it's like this irrational fear that you're going to be found out so like if you start investigating into students like i didn't realize it but like it might worsen their fear withdraw, 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 withdraw. yeah yeah like it, it might be even worse but now that i've like read more about it i think that's like it's even more important to try and find um to, to find a thing. What's also interesting is that uh, I saw another report that like the feelings of inadequacy were disproportionately impacting those in racial, gender, or sexual orientation minorities who lack the privilege of some of their coworkers. So like this kind of makes it even worse because when, when you're a minority, you're already like fighting against like so many problems. And then like, that's even worse when like your inner dialogue is also, um, <laughs> sorry the cat is uh yeah but like it's like it's one thing when from an external source you're already like battling and now like from an inner month you're now battling with your inner monologue as well so like i i know that we were meant to focus more on the uh incompetency in medicine but like i realized how much feeling like an imposter actually affects your competency um yeah like we mentioned before it shoots your confidence completely i mean yeah if there was any there to start with, because it's not a, an acute thing. It's been there for years, chronically, right? But the, the thing is, uh, also, like, I remember last week you were talking about, you know, you had, like, the unconsciously competent and then, like, the consciously. So, like, what I, what I read also that was very interesting is that, like, due to the culture of everything in medicine, you know, like, you in medicine, you're really not encouraged, like, self- help seeking behaviors are not encouraged at all. Um, no, any, like they're any, not. Any inkling of weakness is not okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, and like this kind of also goes back to when uh, I was talking about the video that I wanted to prepare about uh, World Mental Health Day and like physician suicide and um, like self-help seeking behaviors are not encouraged at all in medicine. Like if you're feeling like down or stressed, it's basically like get it together, like you knew what you were signing up for. But it said that like in unconsciously competent um physicians may also suffer yet their needs may not be visible in a culture assumed to discourage disclosure so like it it comes to a stage where like well, i think i might have miswritten uh, mis what i wanted to say but like basically even if you're aware of like that you might be weak in an area like say you're not even feeling imposter syndrome but like you actually recognize one of your weaknesses like we don't we're not in a culture where you're encouraged to admit your weakness to then like seek help for um like to disclose it and seek help for it because you can even be penalized for it exactly that's what i was going to say like it, they don't want anything on record where you're showing weakness or any form of um anything that could be tied towards neglect or uh, incompetencies because that brings a hammer down on the institution's head as well if anything was to go wrong so rather than having that on record just keep yourself quiet and sort it out is their mentality at least in my opinion like is, is their mentality um, which puts all the burden on the physician and, and all the burden on, on someone who's already burdening themselves with these, the, these thought patterns. Um, so I, I mean, yeah. I don't really, I don't really see a way out because there's, there's, there's attacks from all sides almost on, on, on all of it, unless you bring it out yourself to, to, to reaffirm, like we mentioned before, reaffirm yourself and, and, and work on the things that need working and just assure yourself that um, <clears throat> some of these things are either not as bad as they seem or are, um, are you telling yourself that you're inadequate and really you're not? Yeah, see, the thing is, okay, so I was just looking for, because I also remembered that I put this in for the mental health, like physician suicide video, is that there was uh, this journal, and it basically says that, like, barriers to physicians seeking help are often punitive, including discrimination in medical licensing, hospital privileges, and professional advancement. So, like, not only is it that you're discouraged to seek help from your peers or whatever, because, you know, like, we live in a it is a culture of judgment and competition like you know it's it's not always like that but i would say like 90 percent it is and i think people can be in denial about it but that's the truth but there are also journals and like research papers that document that like if you seek help like you will get punished for it so it's it's kind of like twofold uh problematic <laughs> problematic basically that one you can either feel bad about everything so that like you're actual incompetencies are masked and you're not able to improve or two you might not feel like an imposter but like you might know what your weaknesses are but you can't even uh address them or like profess them because you might be like punished for it and mm -hmm. like the funny thing is like uh you would think like it's it's not even at this stage a thing of like oh like well i mean your your doctor is like you're meant to be stressed and feel under pressure or whatever but it it is basically like shows that it's it's bad for the uh, it's bad for the patient as well. Sorry, uh, my my cat is like being very needy at the moment. The cutest ever. Yeah, he he he's cute, but he's a pain sometimes. Um, so like it's interesting to me that like incompetency is a huge 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 problem because in the other parts of the research that I did in incompetency, it was basically like 
addressing how you can minimize it by saying like, uh, like this uh, directly lifted quote that errors could be minimized by having standard of operations such as using a checklist, which is actually apparently like the world's most like defining uh, change that you can make to minimize anything. Checklist. checklist. Of things you need to do or? Anything or... and, okay, what's, I need, I need my arm back, sorry. Oh, she's, uh, Mr. Chunks has uh, gotten Sarah hostage. Yeah, I can't, I can't free my, uh... oh, buddy. I... <laughs> okay, he's gonna attack me now. <laughs> I... Okay, this is really problematic. Um, okay, so I basically, this is kind of a tangent, but there was, I think he's like a brain surgeon or some sort of like surgeon. And uh, I think the World Health Organization approached them being like, look, uh, there are so many avoidable mistakes and deaths that are happening uh, in whatever and they wanted him to come up with a solution and I, I think it was the world health organization i would google it to be more accurate but mr chunks has my arm hostage um and basically they ended up coming up with this like pre-operation like pre-surgical checklist that you have to go through like confirming the patient and confirming like certain things and they found that implementing the checklist even in the most like modern countries and the most like developed hospitals actually reduced uh, mortalities and everything else. And he, he actually wrote a book on it, like the power of the checklist or something like that. And it's insane how something as simple as a checklist like reduces mortality rates uh, in hospitals. And I would, I, I would love to be able to Google this right now so that I'm not talking out of my ass, but the fucking cat. Um, so any like, that's pretty cool, but you can minimize the errors by using checklists, but also regular training and periodic refreshment of skills and knowledge. Also teamwork are all necessary to minimize medical errors. Uh, Was this it some... uh, Yavor Enchev? Enchev? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've got here. Checklist I... neurosurgery to decrease preventable medical errors are reviewed. Yeah. But so they, I, I, I think like he, this guy ended up writing a book on it as well. And uh, they, it became so important that like now even companies like NASA before they, you know, they send people off to the moon and like everything's, everything, it's been shown that like the checklist is like the simplest, most implementable way to prevent as many errors as possible. So like, mm -hmm. again, this could also be like kind of like when you're setting goals for the day to combat to combat imposter syndrome like you can set a checklist of goals maybe but um the original point was that you can minimize errors by using checklists regular training and periodic refreshment um but the problem is is that like uh most of this refreshment and um, like retraining was shown to be online because when i looked up best practices to combat uh incompetency, this is also pre-COVID time, is that you would have to do the courses in person and not just online. So yeah. like there is so many problems and like there's only so many you can address. Um, but like, like it's kind of like, where do you start? Like, do you, do you start by, like to me, the earlier you catch the problem, the better. Like, yeah. so me, like, I think we should target first year students and like try to instill in them as much like confidence and like good practices and good habits uh, as much as possible. But like another study I read, so, so sorry, I'm, I'm talking a lot because I'm just going through my notes now. No, no, um, go for it, go for it. So two very interesting things I found was that one, it's not only actually uh, students, but- I imagine it's, it's something that's happening throughout. 
anything. Yeah. And it's not just isolated to, to med- medical profession. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's, not, it's not that. But it was basically, it didn't matter what stage of their career advancement that they were in. So they could actually be like a chief of medicine or a chief of yeah. surgery. And they could still, which, which is crazy to me, because like you, you would think if you get to such a like position of like, I don't want to say power, but. Um, but, but even just that years of ex- decades of experience and you're still feeling like this, that's crazy to me. I, I mean, I think I know the, the, the paper you're talking about is like the Canadian, um, uh, what was it? Yeah, it's a rising to your level of self, uh, rising to your level of incompetence, what positions uh, self-assessment yes. of their performance reveals about imposter syndrome in medicine. Yeah, on public, yeah, literally, yeah. like, I, I, I pasted the link, but I didn't know which part was referring to which part. So that that's the first interesting thing to me, like, it's not just uh, a certain stage of your career, like, the more advanced you are, you can still suffer from it. But the other very interesting thing that I found was that, so th- this was a study where they gave out questionnaires to, like, students and to also, like, uh, senior surgical trainees and stuff and it said that more senior trainees and surgical trainees demonstrated greater agreement with medical errors are a sign of incompetence whereas junior trainees demonstrated with greater agreement that uh, management is more interested in meeting performance targets than focusing on patient safety so like Mm -hmm. this kind of felt like a really interesting disconnect that like younger doctors uh, see it differently than older doctors like older doctors see like an incompetency sorry a mistake as an incompetency where so do you think that's a consequence of a generational gap rather than a consequence of the mindset changing as you go through the years of experience that you you, you gain see like okay so I was pretty divided by that like because medicine is changing very rapidly like we even talked about how like now uh, there's an equal number of women and men as medical students like for the first time in history so mm-hmm. like i i do think like the uh, environment is changing a lot that maybe like older surgeons are more ruthless in there if you're making mistakes it's because you suck rather than because like here it says that uh the younger patients like said that uh like 74 percent uh, agreed that the numbers of hours phys- physicians work increases the likelihood of mistakes and we know that from another study we talked about in the past where uh, f- like residents who were burnt out were 6.2 times more likely to do medication errors and 70 percent of them qualified for the definition of burnout so like this is true but my question is like is it actually that there is a kind of like a generational gap if you so will that one of them are seeing mistakes as it's because you suck and the other ones are seeing it's, it's mistakes because you expect too much. Or is it so much so that like maybe in the older ones, like uh, it's been like mistakes have been like bred out of you, like where you either like you either toughen up and you fix yourself up and you stop making mistakes or like you're incompetent. Like, or it could also be a, a, a factor of um, you know, these people who are at the top of their profession or, or, or their field have outcompeted various amounts of other people. So the, the people that you're questioning in those positions are of a certain um, disposition to think this way compared to those who may may not have been able to get to that position. I'm making, making myself clear, like um, on the pyramid of hierarchy, those people who are being questioned at the top or at the top because of the, because they fill some certain criteria that has allowed them to get there, right? They're, they're, they have X amount of publications, they've worked 
10, 20 years in that same field. Um, they're ruthless, competitive, and what have you. And then people who may have been training with them to get to the same position haven't got to that point because they don't feel the same criteria. So when you ask someone a question at the top of the field compared to anyone else below, their mindsets are all going to be quite similar because they're of the same mentality in that respect or in that regard. I mean, like, I, I do I do kind of see what you're saying, but then I'm also not sure because this other study, I mean, also like a study is never 100%, but like this other study did show that like you can suffer from it at any stage of your career. Mm-hmm. Like, so even if you're at the top. So like, honestly, I'm I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say the system sucks because it's always, <laughs> it's always the, the system's fault in like some you're way. You're going to hear first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean... I don't know. I, I do think that it's very interesting, though, because like I'm also kind of torn now. I'm not going to lie, because I, I looked at uh, like not to sound awful again. I always sound awful in these podcasts, but I have looked at a lot of my colleagues and thought that, like, I'm afraid to be sick. Um, I'm afraid to become sick because I know that they're going to become doctors. So obviously that means that a lot of doctors like them already exist. Does that make sense? Like No, I didn't get the first bit. You're, you're afraid to be what? Sick. Sick. To get sick. Oh, because, okay. Uh, to like go to a hospital and be sick and need uh, medical care because, you know, especially because I don't know the quality of the doctors say, like I get sick, mm-hmm. I get rushed to the ER and uh, like I look at a lot of my colleagues and I would be afraid for them to treat me mm-hmm. um, even when they graduated. And so, but the fact that I know that they're passing their tests, I know that they're going to graduate and practice. So like, that tells me that there are already uh, doctors like them out there, but I'm also yeah. like kind of divided now because I'm kind of like, okay, but like there are also really good doctors that think that they're incompetent. So like, you know, it's, it's, it's becoming like more and it's becoming harder and harder to. But I think, I think comparing the, the, the doctors say my year, I'm about to graduate this year, comparing the the same people who are in the system right now in my class uh, to them in three or four years when they're going into speciality, there'll be vastly different uh, levels of competence going through day-to-day experiences in a clinical setting rather than, you know, in a medical setting, uh, sorry, medical student setting where you're just working to pass exams. They'll be working to, to, to fit the competencies of the structure around them. See, you say that, but like, I actually even, okay, so like we take a country like Turkey. I, I'm, I'm taking Turkey mm-hmm. because I have I, I have a little bit of knowledge about it, but currently uh, being a healthcare worker in Turkey is so abysmal yeah. that uh, specialties like heart surgery and brain surgery and like, you know, high risk specialties are actually very, 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 very lowly desirable. So they're very, very easy to get into. Mm -hmm. Um, Like in most countries, like getting into cardiac surgery would be incredibly difficult, but actually in Turkey, it's way harder to get into uh, like derm, radiology, like things that are generally considered low risk. So now you're getting students who weren't even that good of a performer in medical school. And to be honest, I don't think medical school performance is a measure of competency. I should like be very clear about that because like my medical school performance is good, it's adequate, but like, I feel like my patient empathy will like carry me over in like as a good doctor. Um, So I don't think necessarily like your performance is a measure of your competency, but like you have students who aren't really performing very well 
in medical school and you would think that like having this test of like to get into the specialization would filter out students who aren't going to be as uh, like not book smart, but like hardworking, I guess, because at the end of the day, like passing a specialization test is incredibly difficult. Like you need to study for hundreds and thousands of hours. And like the ranking is very much uh, like how hard you worked and studied and, you know, so many other things. But now you have a country like Turkey where no one wants to be, no one wants to be in emergency medicine because you might get killed because uh, most doctors are being killed there. You don't want to go into like heart surgery because that's like the mortality is probably pretty high and you're going to either get sued or you're going to get killed there. So now you're having like the the lower, like the, I don't want to say bottom of the barrel. Like I don't want to like dismiss any student, but the truth is like not not everyone in medicine is great and not every medical student is great. And you're now getting people like that going into specialties where you would think that they need to be of a higher caliber. Mm. Um, and so like now it's like more than just a competency, like, like, like what you were saying that they're going to be weeded out because now they have to live up to a competency in that field. But I don't think it is at all because it's lower quality students going in. Um, so, so it's more, so in your mind, it's more like, those who those students who are in in the institution once they graduate have a better or will will learn the ability to to fake competency rather than actually being competent is that what i'm understanding i just think that like it's not that they're going to be able to fake competency but um you know, once you basically get into a residency, like getting into the specialty is the hardest part. Um, once you get in though, like, uh, unless you're like super like negligent, you're not really going to be fired from it. Like, um, I actually saw the dropout rates for um, the UK foundation. I mean, all of my stats are always on the UK foundation program because that's the thing I'm gunning for at the moment. But um, the dropout rates for the first year of of your um, foundation training are significantly lower than the dropout rates of say medical school within the first three years. Because as soon as they get a person into their specialty program, they have an incentive to keep that person in that program, no matter the level of their competencies, because if everything goes to plan, they've made sure that the person that they brought into their, um, their program is of good enough salt to, to see it through to the end. Okay, but this is this is what's kind of good about, I guess, the UK Foundation program because it's not just a standardized test, right? There's like other factors that go into it as well. True, true. So, like, uh, it, it like because in Turkey there's you you just sit a standardized test called the TUS, and you do the TUS, and then like based on your score you rank into a hospital and a specialty. So, like, y- there's still kind of like other barriers. Um, to like I don't want to say incompetent students like I feel really conflicted because on one hand I'm like every student you we need to be kinder to students and we need to instill better like kindness and understanding into students and so that they feel more confident in their abilities and on the other hand I'm just like wow I hate most of my colleagues because they're dumb um <laughs> so I I, I I feel conflicted um yeah I don't know <laughs> it's, it's, it is one of those things where there's not going to be a black and white answer it's it's so subjective it's so person dependent that you and i are having an issue struggling the issue like coming to 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 some kind of conclusion or solution for the whole problem and there's an institution in every single country that has been dro- uh, 
juggling this and struggling with this for decades because I mean imposter syndrome isn't something that's new it's been around for the entirety of human history yeah. it's just joined it now they've understood this mentality for a long time I but feel. so has like depression and stuff and it's still not recognized Very like true. depression isn't anything new and like when I was looking up the statistics for like physician suicide I I would say that it was like just disgusting like there's no other word to describe it like it was just you've looked into the because i've not looked into the the statistics around this but i've always heard that saying that the 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 highest suicide rates in any profession are in dentists did you see anything about this? yeah okay so this is really interesting because that's what i kind of knew as well before i went into it but actually it's not it's uh construction workers funnily enough construction workers yeah i mean it kind of actually in a sense makes sense to me um, as weird as it sounds because what's the rationale okay like I, I might be completely talking out of my ass but uh you know like I kind of see suicide as a last resort right and like there's this like prevailing thought that like suicide is a sign of weakness but it's it's really not like you need to be incredibly strong to override like every single uh like intuition in your body yeah yeah like you know it's an incredible feat of strength and the thing is like suicide is a last resort so that means that like you would have needed to exhausted most of your outlets available to you before you hit that and like when I think of construction work I think of men uh, which suicide disproportionately uh, affects I think of like the culture of like you're not encouraged to share or be emotional so it's not like you have uh, an outlet I think that if you are a construction worker, that you are probably from a lower socioeconomic background. Um, so you don't really have the, like, you, you might not have therapy available to you. You might not have like other help uh, care seeking behaviors. Uh, you know, like if you're in America, you probably can't like afford to even go to your doctor and be like, listen, like I'm feeling really depressed. And even, even if you could say afford those things, um, it, 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 I, I don't really see it as a culture, like a profession, I'll say where like and it's not to be stereotypical when I think of like movies and it's like a bunch of men sitting around like having their lunches and looking at women or whatever you know but uh to me like it kind of makes sense and they are generally uh like stronger like uh, you know like you you need to have a certain amount of grit to work like such an exhausting job like physically and also I like I would think that it's mentally taxing um because like it's okay. it's like you can't really even see like progression i guess in a sense maybe maybe i don't know enough about the field but mm. when i think of all of those like they are all like very strong factors to me that uh you don't want to show weakness so you don't talk about it so you don't explore like help options so you are more likely to be in a desperate enough situation where you would take that like last resort and yeah uh, i never really thought i never really thought suicide rates would be so high in construction work because I never really gave it a second thought but yeah I I, I I was I was very shocked as well now like this was only on one source though like I always heard dentists as well like that's that's something I heard since I was a kid and then the yeah. second highest was like air traffic controllers or something this was before I looked into the statistics and then when I looked in I was very surprised to find out that it's actually construction workers um but is it it might also be um country specific because I, I also know like Japan, for instance, has like the highest rates of suicide of any country. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it's not as again, I've not looked into the, the statistics, but it is my understanding there that it is pretty much your white collar workers in an office who make the, the majority of suicide 
um, fatalities in those Japanese populations. So um, if that's true, then I would really want to see the statistics on Japanese construction workers. I think though, like, the funny thing is, this is crazy. And again, like, I haven't looked any of it up, but I also vaguely remember somewhere seeing that uh, in Japan, like almost all construction work goes on during the night to not disturb people, uh, like like roadworks and stuff uh, happens. I, during I mean, I had construction work right outside my window for two weeks during the night, and it <laughs> it disturbed me. <laughs> yeah, but I I mean, like you know, like when there's like roadworks going on and it creates like an incredible amount of traffic and stuff. Like, uh, I think maybe it was that. So like, if it goes on, if they're specific about the timings of it, because the thing I understand about the white collar workers is that they're like overworked to death, basically, mm -hmm. where they're like expected to put in fourteen hours of work and then you know they have to go drinking with their boss and that's why they yeah, stay in the capsule hotels. Culture, work culture there is not great. Yeah, so like I would imagine if they're controlled enough that they would do it at nighttime that. As weird as it sounds, like maybe construction workers actually have a much better <laughs> work-life balance. Um, but again, like I haven't looked into any of it. This is like just me absolutely guesstimating from mm. random bits of uh, knowledge. But I do know that uh, it's very much it, it's this it's very high in physicians and it should not be. Um, it's not the highest, but like what I think apart from construction workers, like outside of like what is the give me the top ten, top five. Uh, I, I don't I don't have that like ready like I just because mainly uh, when I'm talking about this I'm like cons uh, I'm consulting a script that I wrote for the video mm -hmm. um, so like there was no point in me mentioning the top 10 because it wasn't pertinent to no, physician no, suicide because this, this whole topic of suicide really like pre pre profession specific suicide like when we're looking at demographics of people who commit suicide and are successful in doing so based on like their work or their socioeconomic background it really interests me to see which types of people based on you know their work-life background are more affected by it because I can understand physicians because you know I'm, I'm in that field or I'm going to be in that field where it's a very high stress job and um I have some inkling of understanding, but you know, we just mentioned construction workers, but I, I have no understanding of their, their day to day and what they expect, like when going into work and the struggles they face during um, the struggles they face with their work life balance. So it's interesting to see which different professions have different problems, which could con contribute to that mentality, not the mentality, but the, the, the general decline in in um, satisfaction of life that would lead them to then want to commit suicide. I mean, to me, like uh, for physician suicide, my main, not my main takeaway, but like it seemed to be very, 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 very driven by burnout. Mm. Um, where like, obviously, if burnout is starting in residency, which is basically just after graduation and you stop enjoying certain things and you're starting to feel apathetic and you're like, you're more likely to start making mistakes and then you make mistakes and then you like carry a guilt. And then like, to me, it was like a very uh, clear progression of how someone might end up like that. But then again, it's this uh, culture of like, you can't express 
like mm-hmm. you, you, you can't because like that other journal quote that I said that it was like punitive where you might be denied like professional advancement if they know that you have like a mental health condition and like it shouldn't be this way but it is this way so like I think the fact that residents are burning out and then you're like telling them no don't seek help like you know it's it's no wonder that it's very high uh in medicine it's not it's not the highest but I don't think that's the point like I think yeah. it's it's completely uh way too high and you know it's interesting to see like burnout and depression leads to incompetency but then incompetency will lead to further guilt and it's like a vicious cycle almost yeah yeah for sure like and you know there there's absolutely uh no winners except i guess the insurance companies <laughs> um capitalism but we went into the wrong professions there should have gone into uh, insurance yeah honestly like not that i'm saying i'm de- uh, i'm regretting my choices of going into medicine but like the more it's funny because I'm so close to the end now not as close as you but now I'm kind of like wow I could have gone into any other career and be happy but like the thing is before I got into medicine I I would have never thought that like for me it was very much like medicine or die medicine or die (laughs) I was like I don't know what I'm gonna do if not medicine and yeah yeah I was like no groups of like okay in fact I'm on this one Facebook group where it's just doctors and medical professionals who just want to get out and uh, they gave them tips and tricks about how to go into different professions and what they liked and all of this like man it's it, it's so weird. Like I don't regret going into medicine, but oh. like I do regret being so hard on myself because I used to think that like I would be so unhappy in anything that wasn't medicine. And now that I'm in medicine and I'm almost done, I'm kind of like, wow, like actually if I'd given myself a chance, like I could have been happy in other fields. And like I kind of feel sad that I didn't give myself the opportunity to enjoy anything else. And knowing everything yeah. I know now about like the culture and the hardships and the stress and like oh, I'm not gonna lie like being a woman kind of a scam and <laughs> like like especially in medicine and you know I, I'm not regretting my choice but like I definitely kind of wish I knew everything I knew now before I made this decision that's the thing I was yeah, I was just about I've, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot like the past couple of years of how um I really really like my whole life was about getting into medicine and becoming a doctor yeah. and then now I'm almost about to graduate. I, I kind of have learned, I've learned so much in medical school outside of medicine about myself and like the way I look at life and what it means to be, um, to, 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 to be independent and take yourself through, you know, trials and tribulations of life that I wouldn't have gotten unless I'd been in this course or gotten into medicine. That makes like I wouldn't have been exposed to, to this whole idea process and thought pattern unless I'd gone into this course but the the catch 22 is that had I not gone into this course I would have been so depressed and kind of just just um feeling inadequate because I didn't get into this course when in reality there is so many other things I could have done the 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 worst part is that like okay so the other day my friend my friend's younger sister wants to apply for medicine. And so my friend contacted me being like, can you talk some sense into this girl? And instantly I was like, I need to convince her not to go for medicine. <laughs> I have and, the same, yeah, I'm in the exact same story. Yeah, it's, but it's- the, the thing is like, I know that 
I basically told him that he's not going to listen. She's not going to listen to me because I know that when I was in her place, so many people, including doctors, tried to talk me out of it. And I was basically the, like that tweet, like that meme that was like, well, ripped to you, but I'm different. Like, you know, <laughs> do, you, do you know that tweet? <laughs> like, well, like, ripped to your grandma, but I'm different. Like, so whenever like a doctor or another student would tell me like, Sarah, like, because also I was working in Facebook and I was still in the back of my mind, like medicine. And people were like, look, like maybe you could be happy in other things. Like maybe you shouldn't go into this. And even doctors were like, look, it's really not that great. Like it's not that big of a deal. And I would just be like ripped to you, but I'm different. <laughs> like medicine is my calling. I can't imagine doing anything else. And now I'm like so yeah. close to the end. And I'm just like, I would have loved to be a chef. I would have been a great detective. I would have <laughs> like, you know, like I, 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 I would kill the murder mystery novel scene you know what I mean <laughs> yeah exactly I would have owned that shit like yeah. man I would look good in a leather jacket like yeah. riding a motorbike like ah man would have been great and even now that I'm creating content I'm kind of like I could have I could have started creating content like ages yeah. ago I, I, I would have loved it I would have loved making videos about whatever it is or even a podcast and I don't regret it because the videos and the podcast we make together now based on medicine is re I'm really passionate about and I really want to build tools for medical students now and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't go through medical school but like mm. I do kind of wish that I was able to talk some sense into myself and I would have saved myself years of depression and being miserable that I didn't get into medicine on my first go like five years of suffering where even though I had had a good job I couldn't be proud of myself that because yeah. I was like oh but it's not medicine and everyone's it's like but you're 21 but, but it's one of those things that you wouldn't realize unless you got into medicine and like I know but know. I want other students to realize that like I was but 21 like, and working until the cows come home and they won't rip to you but I'm different, yeah, yeah, rip to you, but I'm different. <laughs> it, it is it, it is basically like that so like I tried to really put it in being like look I'm looked into the statistics of burnout and suicide and like it's a very thankless job and you will feel inadequate and incompetent and you will have colleagues that will try to like ruin you because you know we yeah like we do have a culture of gunners and I'm sure they exist in other courses as well but in medicine it's like a very known fact that like it's not enough for one person to succeed other people have to suffer and like yeah. these are like gunners and I was like you're going to be dealing with a culture of this and you know it is fulfilling and good to be a doctor and you do get to help people but there are other ways to help people and there are other ways to bring good and they're basically just like rip to you for feeling stressed but i'm different <laughs> like, yeah. like uh, I, when, I, when i first didn't get into medicine i i told my mom that um now my mom was a pediatrician she's retired now but um i told my mom i want to help people and if it's not medicine then i'm going to go into nursing and she was like don't go into nursing for whatever reason i think her her rationale was that uh, a being a male nurse at that time was very like uh there was a lot of stigma towards it i, I didn't fucking care i was like oh, i want to help people i'm gonna go into nursing um but she was also like you do you, you the burnout is the same the level of responsibility and work is the same but the compensation is not and, yeah um it's true you'd rather be crying in a porsche right so <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i love that phrase that's what i used to say as well like uh I'd rather cry in a like what was it like I'd, I'd rather cry in a Mercedes than on a bike like yeah. you know either way you're crying but like you're going to be a lot more comfortable in one of them but, but like during those two years I actually started uploading videos to YouTube about just just stupid oh I didn't know you actually made YouTube videos yeah and you'll never get the URL but no! <laughs> <laughs> you're killing me. The stupid little uh, Minecraft and uh, some of the video games um just 
I think I uploaded four episodes and then I got, uh, got, got a job. So I stopped, but I just keep thinking back if I just kept on doing that. Cause I loved every minute of making those videos and uploading, yeah. you know, even the process of making thumbnails, which apparently is something that people hate. I hate. It's probably like my, no, it's, it's the part that I suffer with the most but the thing is like what you were saying like when you were saying like if you had just kept with it uh i started doing a keto diet i don't know if i talked about it on the podcast before but like 10 years ago i mean i'm super into keto and intermittent fasting now but like i first started doing a keto diet in like 2013 back when it wasn't heard of at all and back then i was like i should start like a blog about this and i should start a youtube channel because no no one was doing it uh back then and imagine yeah. you kept doing it yeah and it was basically everyone was like oh you want you want to be a diet youtuber and I was like no I want to talk about ketogenic diets like I lost 25 kilos like I I don't did we not talk uh, about this you did you said you lost a lot of weight but I didn't know it was through keto alone yeah it, it was true keto I'd lost 25 kilos like it completely transformed my life and I was like you know, at, at that stage, <laughs> thank you. But at that stage, they're like now every second page and every second person is doing a ketogenic diet. Yeah. And like, but like- it's by the Atkins diet back in the day, but you know, it actually works. Yeah. Like I mean, Atkins is kind of like a rotation of the keto diet, but anyway, we're getting really off topic and we're actually about to run out of time. But True. let's make this a, um, a another, yeah. another one. Another, but... <laughs> major key. <laughs> I, I was I'm always like another one but um, yeah this was actually kind of interesting to talk about I feel like we're we're kind of always just scratching the surface and it feels like there's so much more that could be said and done but you just never address it um I was just as a finishing off uh I found a few people a few doctors on Twitter who were talking about uh burnout and imposter syndrome so I was thinking that like, do you think we should just try our luck and like tweet a few of them and be like, we're two medical students, we're starting a podcast. Would you like to come and talk with Most us? Most definitely. Most definitely. Like just just cast out a net and see what happens. Definitely. Why not? I mean, worst they can do is say no. Yeah. And uh, then we're in the same position, right? Like just no, YOLO into it. No, plus, I mean, we we can go around these these few papers that we've seen online until the cows come home, but having someone who I'm, I'm assuming these these people on Twitter have like done papers or yeah so like the, the the two people I found one of them wrote like a very very uh, in-depth article about uh, their own experience and linking it to papers so like I think uh, it would also be cool to have like an expert doctor on who has had imposter syndrome like they're yeah. already in attending and stuff so I think yeah. that would be really cool and this other person who was just talking about it as a psych condition um, I mean again maybe like I think that could be really fun and cool and uh, maybe they'll say oh, no I'd be know. very excited for that no, no I think we should um, yeah send me send me the twitter handles and I'll, I'll check them out but for sure, write on some messages because I'd be very interested in pursuing this further because even though we've done two episodes on it, my anxiety is still quite high. So. I, I also feel though like we might have to like become a little bit more of a professional podcast if we're going to start asking uh, experts. Actually get a proper mic, proper video. A, prop, a proper mic and we might want to have an intro and an uh, outro. We could practice an outro now since we're out of time. I just don't but... know what to say. Like, you know, when you're like, even at the start of this episode, I, my brain farted and I was like, what is your name again? <laughs> what is my yeah. name? <laughs> well, we, we, we can we can just, 
I guess we'll talk about it another time, but we should definitely have an intro and, uh, you know, our friend Mia Windsor is going to uh, give us her music and it's going to be great. And yeah, uh, but that could be interesting. So I will, I guess, talk to you next week and everyone can tune in next Tuesday since we upload, we record and upload every Tuesday. Just fair warning, I might be crying throughout the whole podcast if that exam goes poorly. <laughs> well, okay, well then you need to get your shit together and study because you have a... <laughs> You have a duty to our four listeners to <laughs> to bring them a good episode. For real. Yes, all four of you who listen, thank you for dealing with our growing pains of not having an intro and an outro and circling around the same topic. We love you. And <laughs> we will see you next week, I guess, if I can bye figure bye. out how to stop recording. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>